Listen for a word from God, Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds, and he bought, brought only a part of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You, you did not lie to us, but to God, the word of God. So there's more to the story, but truthfully, I didn't have courage. It's only week four back in our sanctuary. Some of us are online still this week. Some of us are gathered in the sanctuary. I didn't have courage to read the entire story. So <clears throat> lean in, sit up. Here's the rest. Acts 5, beginning with verse 5. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband, they're at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in and found her dead, so they carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. Anyone, uh, I don't know, you feel the need for a second offering appeal from Josh Bascom this morning? Look, this is a story rarely heard in the church, nor does it make the lectionary readings, that annual catalog of church readings for the Christian church. This story is the subject of a scarce amount of theological commentary, and it's generally not a favorite story of anyone. Do negative reinforcements really inspire genuine participation in anyone? There's nothing inspirational about this kind of behavioral psychology. We can say even more, friends. Some of the worst theology I've read surrounds this story. The church needs a good snap and shock once in a while, some people say. That's why these stories are in the Bible. The church needs to be zapped into obedience, faithfulness. Faithfulness in all areas of our lives is required, and lying is not tolerated, neither is greed. God killed Ananias and Sapphira to remind us God already owns everything. These are some of the summary lines, supposed truths, this story teaches. It's an unusual story for the New Testament. Certainly, it feels misplaced. It's like we turned the Bible sideways and this story slipped out of the Old Testament into the New. Here's this newly formed community in the book of Acts. Things are going wonderfully well. Acts 1 to 4, it's clear that this little group is prospering and there are thousands of members now. Peter and John, they, they did go to prison for healing that lame man by the temple gates in Acts 3. That's a story we told three weeks ago. But they've been released from prison and they're back on assignment. Jesus is Lord, the Spirit is alive. Look out, world, here come the disciples. And then we meet this couple. 
They're apparently willing to participate in the mission, yet they're not so mission-minded. What shall we do with Ananias and Sapphira? Or as a favorite professor of mine teaches, what shall we allow Ananias and Sapphira to do with us? By the way, I love it when we get a terrible text in the Bible. What shall we allow Ananias and Sapphira to do with us in the face of our deepest conviction that, that God is love and love can only woo us. It cannot bind us and beat us. Love only frees us. I suggest that we are the variable in this story. The way we read these stories makes all the difference. Pull forward one suggestion from last week that in the book of Acts, it's a local church historian writing, not a rigid scientific or even an academic journal. It's a local church historian. They have deep affections and devotions to the people, and they stir that devotion into the mix when they write their journals. You know we're reading a local church historian, right? All right, then two foundational principles we talk about regularly at La Sierra. The pastors teach this in all of our Bible studies. First, read the passage. So much of our confusion comes because we don't read the text, and, and then we offer interpretations on the Bible we haven't read. Sometimes we remember the interpretations of the text better than we do the texts. When we actually read the passage again, though, what does it say and what doesn't it say? It says they fell down and died. Acts 5, verse 5 and verse 10. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And Sapphira, she fell down at his feet and died. It's ambiguous about the cause of the death, including who may or may not have caused the death. So when the text is ambiguous in its explanation, we ought to allow for that in ours. It doesn't say God struck them down dead. See, the community is rem remembering and familiar with an old story, Achan, in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 7. Achan, after a battle, decided to steal some cash and goods and take them as a war prize, which was against the community rules. Achan hides these things until he's found out. And in that story, not only are we told God killed Achan, we're told that the community had a hand in the killing. That's not so in this passage. The passage simply says they fell down and died. So when the text is ambiguous in, in its explanation, we ought to allow for that in ours. And when the text is clear in its explanation, we ought to be clear in ours. We could say for sure, violence is not going to be allowed in the Jesus community. It's the community that killed Achan, but in the Jesus community, no one kills in. No one moves in to kill Ananias and Sapphira. In this community, there are different boundaries. We could say that because the text is clear. We can also make this claim uh, against the claim that the problem is Ananias and Sapphira. Some say Ananias and Sapphira failed to give everything. I can't find anywhere in the story that total surrender of possessions and wealth is a membership requirement. It appears instead that it's rather voluntary and spontaneous. The text is clear that the land actually belonged to Ananias and Sapphira. It was at their total disposal before and after the sale of the property. The property belongs to these two, and these two bring their lives together under the influence of the Spirit. That's where the magic is supposed to happen when we fall under the influence of the Spirit. We're allowed to 
have our own experience with the Spirit, including our own responses. So when the text is clear, we should be clear also. We also then want to make sure we read the passage in its context. Acts 5 begins with the word, but, but. So we know the story doesn't stand on its own. It's part of a prior journal entry. Acts 4 ends with the summary of the community, sharing all their possessions in common. The needs of the community are resolved through the shared possessions of the community. People sold property and proceeds were placed within the community. The storyteller goes on then to name names. There was a man named Barnabas who sold his field, and he brought all the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But there was another man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira. And they sold a piece of property and they kept back some of the proceeds, proceeds and each of them fell down and died. The storyteller wants us to read these two accounts side by side. There are different kinds of sharing going on in the book of Acts. One sold the land and gave all the money. The others sold the land, pretended to give all the money, and then felt they needed to lie about it. The Barnabas property, the Ananias and Sapphira property. Both go through visible signs of generosity and commitment. One is genuine and one is pretend. These are stories of contrast in the community. And it's also the first time in the book of Acts that they're referred to as the church, the ecclesia, the word we talked about last week. Ecclesia is always the people, not the building or the place. Great fear now sees the whole ecclesia, the church, and all who heard of these things. It's the first time we get the word church. It's the first time we get the word fear. The fear of the church people also incites fear in the neighbors who are watching. It's worth pausing. The people gathered in the name of Jesus, who is Lord, powered by the spirit of this same Jesus, holy in a mission and holy in their purpose, for the first time, they're showing signs of the profane and even the corrupt. Things, are, things were going so well. How did they get to this low moment? How did this happen? While Jesus was alive, he warned his disciple of a sabotaging power, a real threat to Jesus and to God's kingdom. The threat is given a name, Satan, evil personified. It is Satan who tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and it's Satan who entered Judas, if you remember that story. It's Satan who tempted Peter when he denies Jesus three times, the same Peter who's now questioning Ananias and Sapphira. He had his own sabotaging experience with evil. Read Luke 22 this afternoon and notice where Satan is mentioned. Satan is attempting to sift you like wheat, Jesus tells his disciples. Satan is another name for evil. All that is against God, all that is anti-creation, all that is unholy, all that tears us down and tears us apart. Evil is a real threat in God's story. It's a real threat in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, they're up against this opponent. Acts 5.3 Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Please notice with me that evil enters the church, not as some force out there in culture, not as something beating down on the walls of our homes or our sanctuary or, or our campuses, but evil creeps inside the people, one person at a time, and then inside groups of people and organizations and, yes, even campuses and communities. I was one of those kids troubled every time Satan's name was spoken. Somewhere I got the idea that by hearing or saying that name out loud, we give 
Satan, evil, access to our lives. Jenna Parker's porter tells me I can tell this story again. When she was a little girl in Sabbath school class, when they would sing the song, into my heart, into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. There's a second verse to the song, out of my heart, out of my heart, out of my heart, flow out of my heart, Lord Jesus. Jenna refused when they got to verse two. She would plug her ears and close her eyes and would refuse to sing that second verse, out of my heart, flow out, Jesus, because she heard that as an invitation. If Jesus leaves, then, then, then Satan might come in. I'm not singing that song, she used to tell us. Ananias and Sapphira in this story, the text says that Satan filled the heart just like the Spirit was filling the people. There's a competing, sabotaging force in this new community. When we categorize sin as individual ways and labels for sin one by one, individual sins here and there, we lose the collective force in the Jesus community, what they're up against. Ananias and Sapphira, they're tempted to live as if they're not in community. They're tempted to prioritize themselves, themselves as a couple and a family, that that sacred union is the highest union and that belonging to each other is the first and primary kind of belonging. There's so much we could say here and we need to say it carefully. When Christianity prioritizes the union of a couple as the primary site of belonging and loving and even intimacy, we turn coupling towards narcissism and an idolatry even, not to mention what we communicate to our single members who feel themselves described as aliens in the midst of the church. I've been helped by one theologian scholar who says, when, when, when we treat the couple and the union as the highest source and site of belonging, we turn marriage from an act of worship into an object of worship. And we turn the couple from a shared journey of disciples into the end and goal of discipleship, as if all discipleship ends in coupling. The problem is not the couple, by the way. It's the claimed sovereignty over intimacy and life together. When the couple or the family becomes the strongest reality that we prop up, as if it's the only container for real joy or real contentment or, or honesty or safety, we, that's the problem. And we'll learn through the book of Acts that all love belongs to God. This, the couple's love belongs to God. Jesus will pull their marriage towards his own life, towards the life of the community. So the spotlight is never on the couple or the family. It's on Jesus. I've been helped by Willie James Jen Jennings on this idea. And that's probably enough said to stir your lunch conversation. It's difficult and challenging that the story is really only about money because it's about their life as a couple. The authentic, Jesus-centered, spirit-led church is first and primarily a collection of disciples. Some of us are coupled and some of us are single. Some of us are older, some of us are younger. Some of us are with children, some of us are not. All of us are challenged by the Spirit to draw the circle larger. When we feel this force we're up and against, it, it will usually be a seduction to draw the circle smaller. Ananias and Sapphira, they draw the circle smaller as if only their life and their home and their union is what they need to take into consideration. When this happens, the church is less and less the movement of Jesus. 
So the problem with Ananias and Sapphira is not a lack of generosity or sharing. It's lying, and it's a, it's a dishonest participation in the community. They're not fully on board yet with this idea of community. And instead of saying that, look, we're still checking you out. We don't, we're not really sure if we want to share completely. That instead of being able to say that, they lie and they mislead the people. The story with Ananias and Sapphira, it's drawn me really towards one question this Sabbath. When and how do we force people into dishonesty? And how can we change this as a church family? What are the ways we are shaping our shared life that cause some among us to believe that they must operate in covert or, or dishonest ways, as if this community can't handle honesty or their honest lives? What can we change so people can walk in their honest stories, walk towards us, not away from us? It's one of our core values here in this community. It's one I'd like to explore most fully post-pandemic. We've been asking that question when we stand in the intersection pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, as we see ourselves coming out of pandemic, what would we like to treasure even more deeply? This is one of them, that we be an honest community, honest about our challenges, honest about our fears, honest about our hopes, honest about our theology, honest about our community. It's the spirit that convicts the people, and the spirit convicts people on a timeline that does not belong to the church. So the most generous interpretation I can offer of Ananias and Sapphira is they're simply not yet persuaded how beautiful and rewarding it is, life inside the solidarity of, a, of communion with a community that promises to be with you and for you. Ananias and Sapphira needed a little more time, but they couldn't say that. The Spirit will convict all of us on our own timeline. These last weeks, as we've been making offering appeals for the damage in the basement in the lower level due to the flood that happened in December, over the weeks we've been talking and showing pictures about the damage downstairs, and one 10-year-old listening to these offering appeals week after week turned to her parents and made a request. Please go to the Bella Fund. There's a fund in her name in the household, the Bella Fund, where her parents have been putting money away for a time. She asked her parents, would you please go to the Bella Fund and withdraw $40 and send it to the church for flood repair? Bella was not greeted by parents who questioned what the Spirit was stirring in her. She was not silenced by parents who were, frankly, building a fund for her future. She was not discouraged or sidelined. She wasn't told that her gift was too small, that we need a lot more than $40, or she needed to empty the whole account to be a part of this community. No, no, no. Bella's been stirred. She's been caught up by the spirit of a community that's raising her alongside her parents. Those are her classrooms. And that's how the Spirit works. Remember, Acts is showing us a community that longs to be what's still up ahead. The very best, ver the very best version of itself, a little more justice and a little more peace and a little more wellness and a little more hope. That's where they're aiming. Amen.